Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. It's October. Have a pumpkin spice latte. Yes. Or pumpkin cream cold brew. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. You do you. Or the, have you been to uh, Summer Moon? They, they, oh, yes. They love the moon over I there. I love Summer We just moon. talked about the moon yesterday. I know. They're not going to be there in the New Jerusalem. No, apparently. no Summer Moon coffee. The Summer People Christ. Be, I don't even there. know what that is. What's the moon? They have, yeah, they, they have this great, I don't know what they call it. I guess they're moon milk is what they call it. Yeah. I oh, can't do it. I did it. And I loved it. I yeah. I just whenever I meet I meet somebody there for partners, and I'm just like, can I just black coffee? Really? Yeah, I can't. I can't like moon milk. Like I can't. It's delicious. It's because you like aliens. <laughs> That's probably part of it. You're like part I, of it. Just give me all the outer space. I'm just saying anything related to the moon. I'm for it. Well, speaking of dressing up as things that don't exist, like aliens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they clearly it's, exist. It's October. It's October, and we are what 29 days out or so 28 days out from halloween halloween can be contentious in christian circles yes it can be and our sending church that we came from always put on an event called fall fest that happened on october 31st and part of the reason was we wanted to redeem this holiday and and uh and not bury our heads in the sand and say we're we're not going to engage in it at all but we wanted to redeem it so pastor let's let's talk about what we would advise our people to do because we're not doing a fall fest um, for a number of reasons. Not this year. Not not this year, at least. But um, even still, even when we were planning uh, and kicking around an idea, we, we kind of wanted October 31st that night to be open. And not just because we want to steal our kids' Reese's Pieces when they go around mm. and, and get that. Although that's on yep. my, my list of things to do. But Halloween, how can we as the church, why should we participate in it? Why should we not turn off all our lights and shut our doors and stay away from the windows? <laughs> Uh, well, there's several reasons, but I'll just, I'll just give a couple off the top of my head here. Number, number one, uh, one of the best ways we can be salt and light is to be light when it's dark. Yeah. Let's do that. And during a particularly dark season in our culture where we celebrate the, gr- the grotesque and the evil and the wicked, and there's, there's demonic seances happening on that night. I mean, I, I, I know that used to be used as like scare tactics, but I think that stuff's really happening. There, there is a, uh, I guess an auspicious kind of approach to that day where the darkness comes out. And it's interesting because that day didn't start out that way. Right. All Hallows Eve was really a religious holiday that was meant to bring honor to the, the past saints. But in any event, you know, Christians are better, are better able to be light when it's dark out. And I don't mean that only literally, obviously. So I think you should be out in your community. I think you should give out the biggest candy bars. I think you should be the one who's not necessarily bringing out the gory stuff with the blood and the guts, but you can have a, you know, a tasteful fall decor on your home and, and be the kind of neighbor that people say, oh, I want to go to that house. They always give out the best candy. In fact, in our neighborhood, we're, we're going to try to buy as big as candy bars as we can, put our church sticker on it and say, hey, you're invited to our church on Sunday. We'd love to see you there and then and see what happens. That's awesome. We don't need to be curmudgeons. We don't need to cross our arms and, and look disapprovingly on the other houses. We can engage without being taken over by what's happening in the day itself. And we should. Yeah. Yeah. I echo all that. I think that's that's super important. What would you add to that? No, I think that's that that's true and and again think of the the stumbling block that might be put out there between you and your neighbor if your neighbor is taking their kids around you've been trying to get to know that that family and invest in them and and 
share the gospel with them and they come to your house for trick or treating with their kids and they see that your house is totally shut down. There's, there's going to be something communicated by that. And it's not going to be that, Oh man, what I'm, what I'm doing is wrong and I need to repent for my sins and trust Jesus. Right. So if you think that you're evangelizing by keeping your door shut and your lights off, it's, it's really not, I think you're doing more harm to your relationship with your neighbors than you are good. And just because you you dress up or take your kids trick or treating or whatever, that doesn't mean that you are glorifying Satan right. in this. Or that you're necessarily participating in the works of evil. Right. Any more than doing Christmas means that you are celebrating the Druids because the Druids worship trees and that's why we have Christmas trees. Like we need to, we need to, to all chill a little bit um, on kind of overreacting against some of these things and, and sweeping the ba- throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So let's, let's quickly just defend the tender conscience Christian who would say, dude, isn't that, aren't you doing the very thing that Paul says not to do to you have the appearance of evil. If you're participating by walking around, aren't you in some way tacitly approving or endorsing it? Of course we would say, no, we don't think that's the case, but would would you say anything in particular in response to that? Well, I think it gets, it's, I think there are some loosely connected parallels to the whole idea of we're going to boycott organizations that stand for non-Christian things, right? Right. Like at, at some point you have to say, okay, where do you draw the line on that? Because, okay, you may go to Walmart instead of Target during one month of the year. Sorry, Angelo. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you don't know where where Walmart's getting their products made and what those companies stand for. Like there's, how many degrees of separation do there need to be before we're no longer complicit in in these problems? You'd have to leave the world. Right. And and I don't think walking around and and participating in a cultural tradition of knocking on doors and and getting candy is endorsing the evil of we're getting together and having a a seance or we're, you know, having a a Satan worship party on Halloween night. Right. Like there's, there's clearly a dividing line there and one does not give the idea that you're approving of the other. And I I would add to that. I think the, the general approach to Halloween as we understand it today is, is really ignorant. I, I don't, I, I, w- I would be willing to bet that we could talk to any number of our neighbors and say, hey, do you know what the origins of Halloween are? And, and I don't know that anybody would just say, well, actually, let me tell you all about it. Right. Um, whether it's the Christian side or the pagan side, I, I don't think anybody knows. And I think that's important to me because then that tells me, okay, I could probably safely participate without having the baggage associated with right. it. And I could do that in a free, my conscience being free to, to engage with my neighbors, to love them, to give them the biggest candy bars I can give them so that I can make some inroads with the gospel. Right. Right, for sure. And if you're still uncomfortable, here's what you should do. Dress up like Martin Luther, take a hammer and some nails, go to Pastor Rod's house and nail the 95 theses to his door for Halloween. Okay, <laughs> great. Let me give you Pastor Peach's address while we're at it. <laughs> hey, uh, let's jump into our daily Bible reading for the day, which is Isaiah 27 and 28. I'm going to dress up as Isaiah this year. <laughs> Make sure you dress up as him outside of those three years that he had there. <laughs> Don't dress up that way. No, man, I'm going for cheap and easy. That would be the appearance of evil. How am I going to afford those big candy bars? <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. I'm going for the cheap side. <laughs> this is the content you guys show and show up for. Oh. Hey, Isaiah 27, we are talking about more good news in the future. And that is that Israel is not destined for total destruction, that God is not going to completely turn his back on Israel, but he's going to, to return to his people and show them favor again. In fact, the vineyard comes back. Remember back in Isaiah chapter five, he talked about Israel as a vineyard and a vineyard that he had done everything for. He had, had prepared it. He had made sure that it had the, the, the the prime real estate and that it was going to be able to grow and it failed to grow it produced wild grapes instead these these things that were rejected nobody yeah. wanted 
here the vineyard comes back, but the vineyard is this time the vineyard that the Lord is keeping. And I, I think the imagery is hilarious because the Lord's like bowing up here. He's like, man, I, I wish there was an enemy. Come at me, bro. Yeah. Like, <laughs> try to hurt my people and see what happens to you. Yeah. Um, just a cool picture of God's affection for his daughter, Israel. That's right. Anything else on 27 that you want to, I mean, that's, that's kind of broad, broad strokes, but that's a lot of what we've got in 27. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, there's, yeah, I mean, there's, there's more there, but yeah, I'm good with that. Yeah. He's talking about the, the future redemption of Israel. So yeah. Uh, chapter 28 then turns to uh, judgment and chapters 28 through, t- through 33 kind of pick the refrain back up again of let me again remind you why it's foolish to trust in anyone else besides Yahweh. And uh, the prophet kind of goes back to that again. We've we've had that eschatological approach uh, through chapter 27 there, um, 24 through 27 focused on the end times on what's coming. Now he's returning back to the, the present landscape and, and reminding Israel again, why not to trust the other nations. Um, and he starts out here in chapters 28 and then 29, which we'll hit in tomorrow's reading uh, with, with a focus on the foolishness of leaders. Don't, uh, don't turn from Yahweh because turning from Yahweh is, is, what foolish leaders do. And unfortunately that's what would happen with the Judean leaders there. Um, but, uh, th- there is a, a glimpse of hope still in verses five and six, because in that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant. There's the remnant again, again, the word remnant, that concept shows up throughout Isaiah. And so there's glimpses of hope, but by and large, this is not a good picture that's going on here in chapter 28. Verses seven and eight, there's the failure of the priest and the prophet to the point that the people are, are, are telling the prophet to take a hike. Basically, when, when the prophet's trying to intervene and call people back to repentance, that's verses nine and 10. They're saying, hey, go prophesy to somebody else. We don't need what you're saying us. You don't need to, to try to treat us like we're a kid. We know all of these things, so to speak. Yeah, really interesting too in that, in that uh, in those two passages or those two verses rather, eight and nine or nine to 10. Um, so the LEB, the, the Lexham English Bible, the Leb. The yes. Leb. The Lexham English Bible. Interesting take on their translation of specifically verse 10. Um, so the the audience is responding very poorly to Isaiah. Yep. They don't want nothing to do with it. But in verse 10, it says, for it is blah, blah upon blah, blah. <laughs> blah, blah upon blah, blah. Gaga upon gaga. Gaga upon gaga. A little here, a little there. So it's really interesting because I guess the words behind that are child's language, which yeah. is line upon line, precept upon precept. I, I was fascinated by that. I did yeah. not see that in the English language. You probably wouldn't see that unless you have the LEB, which says that exact thing. Now, so the idea here is that the audience is unwilling to hear. They, it's like, hey, you, you you sound like you're speaking child speak. I want nothing to do with that. And part of this is God's judgment. Look at verse 12. This is rest. Give rest to the weary. And this is the repose. Yet they would not hear. You want rest. Here's the word of the Lord. Here's what's going to give you a rest. Right. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them precept upon precept. It's going to sound like child speak. They're not going to right. understand it. They're going to refuse to hear it because they would not hear. That's terrifying. There's a time when God does reach his limit with people. We sometimes call it, we sometimes talk about grace being unlimited, God's unlimited grace. And there is a sense in which we could say, yes, it is unlimited because it covers our sins, past, present, and future. But make no mistake that God is still a God of judgment and mm. discipline. Discipline mm. is probably a better word for Christians, judgment for those who are non-Christian. There is a time frame where everybody has the opportunity to turn and repent. And there is a time when there's no longer opportunity. You talked about this the other day, Pastor Peter, Hebrews chapter nine. It is appointed for a man to live or to die once. And after that comes judgment. 
Um, we should never presume upon the Lord for the time that we have to repent. Mm. Whether we're Christian or non, we should always keep in mind that he has a time appointed and there is a time when it becomes too late. Never test the Lord in that regard. Amen. Amen. Well, the, the foolish leaders then in Zion are, uh, are are depicted there in the rest of this chapter as those who are choosing death, making a covenant with death in Sheol. Weird. Um, it, it's weird language here. And uh, again, there's, there's differing opinions here, but I, I think I, the one that I, I find makes the most sense here is that they're, they're, in choosing to ally with these other nations rather than trusting in Yahweh, they are in effect choosing death over choosing life mm-hmm. that they're covenanting with death in that sense, rather than in the life that's provided by Yahweh. And that's why it says we've made lies, our refuge and in falsehood. We've taken shelter. They're not actually saying that because nobody would say that, right? Nobody would say, Oh yeah, we're, we're building our, our hope and lies and deceit, but that's the reality that is, is, behind their covenant and they're trusting these other nations right. rather than Yahweh is it will fail them. Um, and then from here, the, the one they should be trusting is the cornerstone. And there's the concept that shows up time and time again in the new Testament in Acts chapter four in Ephesians. We just read about it just recently in Ephesians four with the, uh, the, the concept of, of uh, he gave the apostles and the prophets with Christ being the cornerstone. Right. And then Peter picks up on that concept as well as Christ is the cornerstone. And so uh, Jesus is the cornerstone that, that precious cornerstone of a sure foundation in verse 16 um, is, is the one that they need to trust. Verse 17, I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. A plumb line is an interesting concept, but it's what people would use and they still use today to measure whether or not a wall was straight. And so it would be held vertically and that plumb line was something that would hang perfectly perpendicular to the ground. And the wall would be able to be shown whether or not it was plumb, whether or not it was parallel with that plumb line. If it was parallel with the plumb line, then the wall was good. But if the wall had a slant to it, it would be made known, even though the naked eye couldn't see it necessarily. When held up to the plumb line, the wall would be shown to be crooked. I prefer lasers. Lasers are are a little bit easier. Um, But righteousness is going to be that plumb line. And that's a reminder that the Old Testament call was faith in Christ just as much as the the New Testament calls faith in Christ, though they didn't know it was Jesus in that sense. They needed a righteousness that was, not to open up a can of worms for you, Pastor Rod, alien to themselves. That was extraterrestrial. (laughs) That was other than what they themselves possessed. But yeah, again, this is the the downfall of Israel, of of Judah here that is being prophesied in the rest of this chapter. So you've made comments about aliens the last couple podcasts. People are starting to ask questions, man. They're wanting to know where you're at. No, they're not. They're they're starting to ask questions. That's like the Instagram influencer that's like, everybody asks me about where I get my lashes done. (laughs) Let me tell you. Is that what you're going to tell us Nobody's asking you about that. Come on. Come on. Tell us about that. Everyone wants to know. People are asking. The people demand to know. Okay, next time. Next podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Ephesians 5. Let's do it. Walk in love. I love that it's Ephesians 5 has to be one of the most difficult chapters for us to apply in the entirety of the Bible. Mm. As far as the the precepts, like the first one right out of the gate. The standard is high. In the whole thing. Like right away, be imitators of God as beloved children. Oh, okay. All right. Imitate God and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Okay. If that, if those were the only two commands in the whole chapter, it's like, good. 
Uh, okay. But it's a real command though, PPJ, right? It is. It's, it, that's, it's not meant to be like, oh, you can't do this. Right. I think there's a real sense in which we can. Right. And, and that's where he goes after this. Right. When he ex- un- unpacks, avoid all of these things. And we talked about that a little bit yesterday. He talks about that, but there's more that he talks about besides just our words, but you know, sexual impurity and immorality and covetousness, uh, crude joking, all of these, it, it, let them not even be named among you. Right. Ha- have such a disdain and separation from it that no one's even going to accuse you of being even remotely close to these things. Right. Um, which is important. It's verse 12. It's shameful even to speak of some of those things. Uh, again, just how far our culture has drifted from that, but how this is good. This is what we need to do as the church. Um, and we need to be those that are walking wisely, not as foolish, but as wise. And then the passage about not getting drunk with, with wine, but being filled with the spirit and then he goes on and we talked about the parallels yesterday, but there's a parallel here, I think with Colossians chapter three, verses 16 and 17 mm-hmm. and Ephesians chapter five, verses uh, 19 through 21 there or through 20, at least. I think there's some parallels of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. I think that's, that's what it looks like right there. It doesn't mean falling down on the ground and shaking or getting a second blessing or being filled with the spirit in, in certain, you know, ecstatic utterances or anything like that. I think it's very practical. This is to be filled with the spirit is, is what we find here in this passage. So just to be clear, you're saying verse 18, be filled with the spirit is actually found in verses 19 through 21. Yeah. And I would agree. I think it's as simple as that. We don't need to over, over spiritualize it or make it mystical. Right. Um, but to be filled with the spirit, it is an ongoing feeling that we need, but that's what it looks like. We are, we're, we're filled with the word. We're filled with praises. Or we're thankful to God for the things that we have. I mean, it's just walking in this mentality that, man, I am a, I, I am a walking object of God's grace, and what a great thing that is. Yeah, yeah, Amen. Well, this next section is uh, is one that Pastor Ron and I talk about with premarital couples. Yeah, we don't have time for it though, so we're going to land Every the plane time. right here. Yep. Thanks for joining us today. Tune back in tomorrow <laughs> for another episode. No, uh, it, 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 it's really it's not as as scary when we read the text for what it says. Uh, it, the, the opening call there: wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Um, there's a, a freedom, wives, in that with that last uh, prepositional clause there that says as to the Lord. Um, I don't know if that's a prepositional phrase or not. I don't think it is because as is not a preposition. You know what I mean? Um, There's, there's freedom there for us to, or for you ladies to submit to your husbands because your submission to the husband is really more about your relationship with God than it is your relationship with him. It is about your relationship with him, but you are obeying God and submitting to him. So even when your heart's not in it, as long as he's not asking you to sin, you have a freedom to follow his lead, to submit to his leadership and know that in doing that, you are pleasing the Lord because you are, are really honoring him. You're, you're submitting to your husband as though you were submitting submitting to the Lord as you, you are following after him in that. Amen. And, and I, would, I would just make note here, the, the, the verse right before that, verse 21, we're submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So that is submission is something that kind of trickles all the way down the line. Yeah. Husbands are submitting to Christ. Women are submitting to their husbands. Our wives, that is, are submitting to their husbands. And, and I, I guess one of the, the challenges that we have to overcome, Pastor PJ, is that people see the word as something dirty and, right. and ugly and, right. and not virtuous or beautiful. Like if we said, if we used a different word uh, that conveyed something that everyone's like, oh yeah, that would be a good thing. 
um, I don't know, love, it, wives, love your husbands. They're right. like, yeah, that's amazing. But the word submission is not a dirty word. Right. Christ submitted to the Father. Christ right. submitted to the will of God. So submission is a beautiful and good and godly thing. God doesn't look at that word with dirtiness or with, yeah. a, with a shaky, like, oh, I guess we have to do it. No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So don't look at this as being something that makes you less than. Christ was not less than the Father. Right. But he did submit to the Father's will. And so it is no... It is no skin off your back. It is no evil for you to say, yes, I submit. All of us submit to various leaders and rulers and authorities. It's just the way God's designed the world. It's a good thing. Right. Right. And and the standard for husbands out there is to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And and if the husband is loving his wife well and, and pursuing a love for her that way, then she's going to, submitting is going to be a delight to her. So in that sense, men, we, we have a, a higher task in front of us, no doubt. And, and Paul gives more ink to the husband's role because of the weightiness of our responsibility. And I, I'm always challenged by the thought with my own marriage, but then I always challenge the people that I'm taking through premarital counseling, the men, when he says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it, then he has that clause in there that he might sanctify her, right? Yeah. And, and that should be, men, part of your love for your wife is that she would be more Christ-like because she's married to you than she would be had she never married you. <laughs> Not because she's having to put up with your antics. <laughs> right. 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 Not, yeah. I'm so much more patient now because. <laughs> right. Because, uh, yeah, well, he is sanctifying. It, no. Not you, like that. You need to lead. We talked about this at our men's breakfast a, a, a couple of days, a, a few days ago. We, you need to lead your wife well at, towards godliness, towards holiness. You need to be taking the lead spiritually in your families. You need yeah. to be doing this. That, 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 that's a loving thing. That's a, a God-given task and responsibility that you have to do that God's going to hold you accountable for someday. Hey, how did you love your wife? Did you love her well? Did you point her towards Christ? Is she more like Christ because she married you and was married to you for 30, 40, 50 years yep. than she would have been had she been single for that whole time? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a that's a, that's a a convicting question for us to, to have to answer. Yeah, and I could think of a million reasons why men would be so quick to say, well, I, I can't or I, I shouldn't because fill in the blank. I know one of the, the excuses I would hear is that, well, she knows more than I do. She She's actually more godly than I am. Um, how would you respond to that? This is not about knowledge. This is about, are you encouraging her? Are you praying with her? Are you praying for her? Are you um, reading the word with her in the morning? Are you saying to her, hey, you know, why don't we both get up? Why don't we spend time tomorrow in the word? Are you asking her how her time in the word is going? Are you memorizing scripture together? Are you taking the lead with your kids saying, hey, we, yeah. we're going to be a church you know more this than week. them. Right. Hmm. Right. Are you doing family devotions with them? Are you, uh, what shows are you watching in your home? What, uh, what music are you listening to in the car? It, it, things as, as, as organic as that are, are important ways that we can lead and help our wives be more like Jesus as a result of our love for them. So it's not about the fact that you have to teach them and instruct them and make sure that you know more theologically than they do. There's other ways that you can influence them with your love for them. That makes them more like Christ. But I work 60 hour weeks, bro. Like I'm, I'm sun up to sundown. I'm running hard. I don't have any time for this. When I get home, everyone's asleep or I wake up too early and no one's awake yet. Um, I'm really tired. I can't, I can't do it the way that scripture is calling me to. There may be some life change that needs to be taking place. Then if that's really true, then you may have to forfeit some of your standard of living 
in order to be obedient to Christ. Because nowhere does Christ say you need to work 60 hours a week and you need to be doing all of these things that you're doing right now. He does say you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Right. And you're going to stand before him at some point before the Bema seat. And he's going to say, how did you love your bride? Did you love her? Yeah. What did that look like? Did you love your job more than you loved her? Because I can take you to Ephesians 5 and what I had Paul write about that if you, you need the reminder. But this is what we're called to do. Yeah. Life is a series of trades, isn't it? It's it a, is. it's a matter of saying, will I, and not that everything's always a specific one-to-one, but there is a way in which you can sacrifice your family health for your financial health Yeah, you know, to have a, sta- a standard that, you know, you've come to appreciate and enjoy. Um, but man, is it worth it at the end of the day? In a yeah. hundred years, when you look back at your life, are you going to feel good about the trade that you made? And I would encourage you guys, everyone, man, woman, and child, Let's look at the trades that we're making and discern whether or not they're the right trades with eternity in mind. Right, right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. And if you're still with us tomorrow, (laughs) thanks. We'll see you again. And we'll be back with another episode for you tomorrow morning. God willing. Peace. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. (laughs) 